Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Today, I have the most special guests in North America, three of my fave peeps ever that experienced something life-changing. What else was it? (laughs) This is fucking crazy. Okay. I have Candace Ewing, Jill Riley, and Nicole Kilgore. I like to call this my rehab reunion, although... Nikki's probably the one that always said rehabies. And we're like, no, bitch, we were in treatment. This is girl's day, right? So call it what you want. But the four of us um, bonded quickly, swiftly, crazily through a very, very bizarre time in each one of our lives. So today we're going to sort of do a little microscoping on each of our stories, where we are today, and dispel the myth that rehab is a spa, country club. Um, What else? (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh, Yeah. What else, Nick? (laughs) A place just for people to go rest and relax and then go out and do what they were doing before. Get away. Now, I'll tell you what, now that I've done it and I am in rehab or I am in recovery, I would go back to be away for four weeks sign me up. Yeah. I would just take away like everyone else, except for the three. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I liked a couple of other people, but <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, just a few, just a few. I mean, well, we're very honored to be your chosen. <laughs> yes. Well, you guys always oh. were. The reason I, I picked these three, besides obviously um, personal relationships with each of them through meeting at our treatment facility, Jill happened to be my first roommate. And honestly, I would not have gotten through that experience. I would have left. Like, no, hands down, if Jill was not my roomie, I when I first got there, I would have oh. bolted. I find it really interesting and I'll tell so many stories about the bullshit that we had to deal with. But coming in to the treatment facility for my alcohol use disorder, which is why I initially went, little did I know that that really was not even a thing, that there was so much bullshit trauma underneath all of this. Like I was like this like freaking onion that had like 75,000 layers to peel. But I show up, I go into this freaking, the hell do they even call that? Detox. The detox yeah. facility. Um, the nurse's station? The med center? The uh, intake? Intake. The nurse's station. Yeah. This is definitely not going to be PC, my description of what I saw. But I'm going to say that the person I'm talking about is fully aware of his physical appearance, so it's not offensive. <laughs> the gentleman that checked me in legit had a back issue and looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> He, he was my intake person too. Me too. Sweet, sweet. So nice. So nice. Uh, but I legit just walked in from some old cowboy dude that picked me up at the airport. Did he have a tang gallon? I have no idea what he had, but he what he did have was an interest in chit-chatting with me while I was crying my eyes out because I just left my family. <laughs> And he drops me off at this fucking Best Western. It was like a two-star hotel, but the pictures looked like we were going somewhere (laughs) really fancy. (laughs) These were all the things that went through my head. Uh, Did you know that that's the original Best Western? Shut the fuck up! In the world? It is. (laughs) Yes. Whoa! See, you did go to... You were going to something special. I knew it. (laughs) It was a historic moment. Yeah. Well, they overcharged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the accommodations, I feel that the the care I had was top notch, but the accommodations sucked ass. And the fact that you had to stay with three different people, <laughs> I love the three of you. <laughs> so yeah. So I get in here. I come with my. I, who knows what you have to bring? Right? They tell you you bring this, you bring that, whatever. You're going to be here for thirty days, but meh, whatever. <laughs> Dude takes my bag 
And he's like, okay, well, we're going to have to inspect this. And I'm like, cool. Like just sit here. Oh, well, you know, we'll get, we'll get back to you probably in four or five hours. (laughs) I'm like, um, can you tell me what I'm supposed to do for four or five hours without my shit? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to introduce you to your roommate. Her name's Jill. Hi, Jill. (laughs) And, and, and at this time it's the total detox area, the nurse's station, we called it. And so we're in like medical kind of ish room right outside of our doors are the nurse's actual station. Like you would see at a hospital. I walk in there, I sit on the fucking bed and then Jill's bed's across from me. And I don't think she was even in there. Honestly, I don't remember. I just remember crying so hard. And then just like, how can I make this stop? And for whatever reason, at the time I liked running, which is so fucking weird because now I like sitting on a couch. (laughs) (laughs) But I just wanted to go take a run. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go get my running shoes. And I'm like, shit, I don't have my bag. And they took your shoelaces. (laughs) Right? He, they had everything. And so I was like, hi, um, I know that you're not going to check my bag for like five more hours, but maybe I could have my tennies. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But you know, for the first 24 hours, you can't have anything with strings. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so they took my tennies because they had shoestrings that I mean, I guess, you know, somebody could have taken their life, which was the concern. But I was like promising them that's not where I was at. I wasn't down for that, but they didn't care. So I'm like, fine, whatever. I hate you now. And I'm going into my room and you're on my shit list. (laughs) Which is really funny because the first thing they do is give you a lanyard to tie around your neck. (laughs) You know, the second thing they do, Jill, they put you in a room with a woman that's been there for weeks who has a curling iron with an extension cord attached (laughs) to it that could hang everybody in the fucking facility. (laughs) I'm literally crying my eyes out because I can't have my tennies and I'm staring at Jill's side of the room and her curling iron is like wrapped up in her fucking bed and the wire is all the way over to the bathroom. It's longer than seven of us. And I'm like, okay, all right. Really really good QA here. Quality assurance wasn't their best, but anyway, I digress. That was my first experience. So enter Jill. Now, Jill... You were the first, my first. Let's talk about that. Do you have a memory of little old Laurieann Windfeld coming through? I do. The first thing I remember was I came in, you were laying on your bed, you were all curled up and you had your daughter's huggy toy attached to you and you were sobbing and like wouldn't talk, didn't want to like, do you want to go anywhere? Do you want to go to the cafeteria? Do you want it? And it was just like, no, I just miss my daughter so much. Just like completely obliterated. That that's that was my first memory of you. Mm. Just miss baby so much. That was so hard. She was two. Yeah, she was little. Yeah. So then um, that was my first roommate, Jill. <laughs> and, and we bonded. And I didn't get to stay with her too long because I was able to get out of that area. Well, not right away. There was a couple incidences. I almost threw down with somebody because they were too loud outside of our door. Oh, yeah. There was a big fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I might have started it. <laughs> somebody was being super loud. And Lori comes out and goes, Jill and I are trying to sleep. Can you please keep it down? And this girl goes, well, Jill, I love, but you can just go right back in your room. <laughs> I was like, bitch, Jill told me to come out here. It was literally, I was like, I was just, I was just trying to get some sleep. Well, you know, there's like, again, we're at the nurse's station. So they have med time at like 11 PM for people who have to take it more often than the one time I did in the morning, because God forbid people did something different than I did. I was like, excuse me. You guys are being way too loud. And then, you know, it didn't really hit me that I was, you know, surrounded by a bunch of mental patients, right? It was just not like, (laughs) it was not coming together. Yeah. So Jill, um, that we had that one incident and then there was another time and we'll talk about you. I want to get into Jill. Oh, good. Yeah. The reasoning for your treatment and just know that at some point, I guess I was supposed to as a roommate, look out for her and make sure she didn't like go wandering through the desert with the snakes and scorpions. But I missed that memo. (laughs) Yeah, you were supposed to. That didn't work. Sorry. So she had a situation, disassociation, something of the sorts. And I was like, peace out, girl. Have a nice walk. (laughs) 
room in like my pajamas and my socks and left. And Lori's like, see ya. <laughs> like, Whoo. Nurses come chasing after me. And <laughs> I got my own room tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. It was a hard time. So Jill, it's your story. What brought you to treatment? Well, I had um, a bunch of stress, a bunch of things going on at home. My marriage was in trouble and um, I'm a pastor. And so um, my supervisors had um, taken over the church. They said, we're going to take over the church for a while. We need you to kind of rest and recuperate. One of the things we want you to do is go to this workshop on childhood trauma. So you can kind of see how your trauma has affected the rest of your life. And so I said, no, not (laughs) (laughs) and and they said well we bought you a plane ticket and you're going and so that's how I ended up there I ended up there for a workshop and and I really thought I really I remember this thought going through my head I thought if if the patients from the hospital, you know, you know, that's what I considered a hospital. If the patients from the hospital are in with the workshop people, I don't want to be with them because I was afraid they were a carrier pigeon or something that I would catch something <laughs> that they had. I was just, I was just really sure that shouldn't happen. And I also remember sitting in this workshop and this lady, I just thought she looked older than dirt and she was one of the therapists. And I thought, I'm going to end up with her. I know I'm going to end up with her. And I did. And so here we have half inpatients and half outpatients. And I'm with this, I'm with this old lady who I'm pretty sure can't hear or see me. And we're supposed to be doing this, this workshop. And it was so frigid cold in this building because the air conditioning was over. That we, that we sat curled up in blankets in this room for like, well, I was only there for three days, but like for, for the whole time, because it was so frigid cold. So we're all sitting against this wall, like all snuggled up in in these gray wool blankets to keep warm while we're talking to this therapist. But anyway, in the middle of all that, I had a major dissociative episode and they, they suggested that I become an inpatient and I suggested that they get the fuck out. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was like, what? I had no idea. And so I ended up agreeing to it because the people who had sent me had said that they would pay for it. And I, I didn't know I was so confused and so disoriented and everything. So I ended up agreeing to it. And um, that's how I became inpatient for, you know, three months of my life. I, I, I hold one of the records for being one of the longest inpatients there um, because I was there almost three months. Yes. And it's typical, I mean, that the programs they offer, it's usual to do a 30 to 45 day, right? Yeah. 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 I was there a lot longer. Did you get a medal for that? <laughs> no, no, I get, I got nothing. Except a big bill. Yes. A big bill. And I don't even think I got like a certificate of completion. Or anything. <laughs> yeah. I should at least have gotten like a cactus named in my honor. <laughs> Okay, so just as you bring that up, I go to cactus, which makes me think of the outside, which when it was raining, it was lovely. But again, this sort of Instagram like, you know, you think of an Instagram influencer where there are these women and men out there that are, you know, taking pictures of themselves and becoming famous for that. And really, when you see them in real life, you're like, whoa, dude, like you had a lot of filters, right? I think that Instagram found the facility and took (laughs) pictures for the brochure. And then we showed up and you're like, what the fuck? I'm still back to the best Western. And then when you're outside, it's like, well, at least we're in the freaking desert. But this is the thing. I remember someone telling me how exciting that there was a pool. That's what they told me. Okay. So this facility that we were at, men and women, all walks of life, all mental situations. Everybody has something different. Substance use, alcohol use, full on people still doing drugs while we were there other people having all sorts of mental illness. Some having porn addiction and legit, we're told, don't sit next to so-and-so because he's working on not being able to like kill women in his sleep. I don't know, fucking weird shit, right? So we're like, okay. So yeah, (laughs) hey, by the way, from 9.30 to 10.30, it's pool time. So if you want to go get out in your bikini and go stand in front of the lobby, (laughs) you're welcome to swim. Just, you know social distance because Joe's not allowed to see women while he's here. What the fuck was that? 
<laughs> so again, I feel like I kind of got swindled in the sense of like, it made me more anxious to think about swim time or pool time or relax time, knowing that there were people there dealing with their own issues that I was potentially a target for their continued issues. I digress. My next roommate. <laughs> Who was it? Candace or Nikki? Who did I suck into first? Candace. Okay. So Jill was amazing and um, loved her. Introduced me to coloring, which I still love to do. Thank you so much. She let me borrow her markers until my hubby sent me some. Because we couldn't do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a lot of rules. No. And you didn't learn really what you needed until you were there for a few days. And it's like, oh, okay. Let's get the lists going for Amazon. So Candice, what's your story, Morning Glory? You can't, you're the youngin of our uh-huh. group and came in a blazing, like, screw everyone, don't look at me, I hate you. <laughs> uh, yeah, because <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't even know where I was going. I just remember showing up to my dad's work thinking, oh, I'm just going to have like our normal like upbeat talk. Let's have a better day. Don't drink, make good decisions. And of course I showed up so drunk. Don't even remember. (laughs) Ended up in some guy's random car, which by the way, I puked in his car. I remember that because I had puke on my shirt when I arrived to detox. Not the best look. And I didn't get a shirt for five hours because they have to search your shit. (laughs) (laughs) They were with my (laughs) teddies. Yeah, so I sat... I sat in a shirt with throw up and all I can remember is telling the guy that was driving that I was so car sick and he's all eat some cookies. I'm like, Oh, want cookies. I just want to get out of the car. But yeah, I arrived and I hated everyone. And I don't remember who my intake person was. I honestly don't remember intake that well. All I remember is being abruptly woken up telling me I need to like go in and they drew my blood, weighed it, weighed me. And then I got put in a room with a girl who was struggling with eating disorder and took a bunch of laxatives. So my room like automatically smelled like shit. <laughs> I was just, like, she was just like, and she apologized. She admitted it. She's like, I'm so sorry. I've taken so many laxatives before I got here and I'm just going to be in the bathroom all night. And sure enough, she was. So yeah, my first 24 hours was not great. And I was just pissed to the wind, like <laughs> mad. And of course I woke up with a hangover. And then when I woke up, I woke up to Nicole coming in. With like, I don't even know. She was like in a trench coat or something, went into bed. And I thought this girl had died. She slept for like 48 hours straight and like randomly would moan here and there. And I'm like, okay, she's alive. <laughs> but she did not leave that room for 48 hours. <laughs> While me and I, all the other ones just shitting her brains out. So I'm just yeah. like, this place sucks. <laughs> yeah. You're like, man, I just drank a little too much, dad. Yeah. And then when I called my dad, he was like, how are you enjoying your stay? I was like, I am so pissed you put me in here. I don't even know what's happening. So yeah. So your initial reasoning for going to treatment was because you, at a young age, I mean, you were in your early 20s. Yeah, I think I was like 23, maybe 20. Yeah, 23, 24. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was being sent because I was like overly depressed and sleeping all day and not eating, crying over a boy. And I self-medicated with alcohol. But I mean, I learned that being in treatment, like I learned that it wasn't alcohol is my problem. It was anything to suppress the pain and the feelings and emotions I didn't want to feel. So it's like, I'm not going to sit here and cry and feel like achy and hurt. I'm just going to drink or that person hurt me. Who cares? Let's go drink it away. But it took me a while in treatment to acknowledge that I had a drinking problem. Oh, did it ever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, blacking out is normal, Lori. Come on. <laughs> Fond memories uh, of taking little Candace under the wing going, listen, <laughs> we were all introduced to AA. Well, not all of us. I think, Nikki, you had been, you'd experienced, had you experienced AA outside yes. of, yeah. Um, yes. But for sure, for for Candace and I was brand new. And I, you know, I don't freaking know anything. I just go by the book and they're like, you got to go to these meetings every night at this certain time. And so I would drag Candace along because you would get to pick codependency, narcotics. And we're like, I'm like, listen, girl, you're just coming with me because you're young and cute and uh, you need to have a mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and I need a daughter <laughs> because mine is gone. And 
she's like, well, I'll go, but like, I'm not an alcoholic. And I'm like, okay. And sooner or later, you know, you have to go around and you tell your stories and she'd be like, yeah, I don't really have a problem. I just black out every time I drink. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not normal. Oh, God. <laughs> and then it would come up again and she would never like, I mean, it was, it was a long time before Candace said, I am an alcoholic. And I think too, now that we have gone through, it's, we're talking close to five years now, you guys, that we departed. You know, there's such a stigma about that. And I still kind of feel that way now, you know, when I talk to people about alcoholism and alcoholic, and it's such an old school label that is put on people to make us seemingly feel shameful of things that we're going through when truly it's like exactly, exactly what Candace just described is what for me, my experience was as well. So I had so much other crazy shit going on in my brain. It was the only thing that quieted it. It was the only thing that allowed me to escape whatever else was happening that I didn't know how to deal with. So while I was with Candace in the sense of, I don't know that I identify as being an alcoholic, I was about following the rules and they were like, you're going to come in here and you're going to say you're an alcoholic when we come around and <laughs> say your name. And so Candace would just be like, I'm visiting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Lori. <laughs> and it was like, I think I cried the first time. She's like, my name is Candace and I'm an alcoholic. I'm like, oh my gosh. <sighs> you know, now God who like, hello, we were so sort of conditioned to pressure people to do exactly what it seemed like we were supposed to do. And it's not really, that's not really a program that fits everyone, right? It's not something that you should have to experience in order to say that you are, you know, healing. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting experience. But I'm glad though that you stuck with it. I'm so happy that things turned out the way they did. And we're going to get into that more because the boy is really an interesting part of the story (laughs) of Candace's story. Nikki. Hi. Nikki is just like our bubbly little eat salad on top of everything. <laughs> and and brings 50 million scarves to treatment. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember putting those scarves in the bag. And obviously they took them because I probably would have, you know. <laughs> no. I had no suicidal ideation at all. No, but you did have enough scarves for all of us. Whenever. I did. Uh, probably for the whole whole treatment center. Yes. That's a good memory. Hey, if it's cold outside and you just need a little shawl, ask Nikki. She's got 17 of them. So Nikki, what brought you to treatment? Can I first read something that I read that I read this morning? It's super fast because I'm super nervous. Okay. Okay. Whatever you need to do. (laughs) Yes. Whatever I need to do. So I read meditations three every morning. And um, so this was letting go of perfection. As I journey through recovery more and more, I learned that accepting myself and my idiosyncrasies, laughing at myself for my ways, gets me a lot further than picking on myself and trying to make myself perfect. Maybe that's really what it's all about. Absolute loving, joyous, nurturing, self-acceptance. So I was always nervous about telling my story. And I never, I've never told my story in AA. I've told people my story, but I've never come out and told it. So, and it's really not that big of a deal. I'm an open book, but I just get really nervous. So, um, I know not around you guys, but you know that. So what brought me there is, uh, let's see. I started drinking when I was 12. I was an aide. Um, I didn't start drinking a lot until I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and that was usual parties and whatnot, you know, nothing too crazy. After high school, I started a career as a flight attendant, and that was the perfect job to isolate, drink as much as you want. And a lot of the people in the airline industry are alcoholics or recovering alcoholics because it is a perfect job where you can isolate and do much you want. So anyway, flight attendant, then I became a, uh, and then I retired, became a mother of three. And I think after my second child is when the drinking definitely escalated. So I was drinking and hiding. And um, what happened the day before I went, um, I was drinking a ton. My husband was in Atlanta 
Um, my three daughters were a lot younger at the time and I was passed out in bed and they knew something was wrong. So they texted him. He flew home and stay drove me to treatment. I had no idea where I was going. I bawled the whole entire way up there. My daughter, Brooke at the time was five years. She packed, she packed some stuff for me, cried all the way up there. And basically it was alcoholism, uh, prescription to Adderall. And I started abusing my Adderall prescription. So luckily I had the means to go to treatment and they just dropped me off there. So I was a full on alcoholic. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. You don't have to say anything else. That's a story to tell. Thank you for sharing and being so open and vulnerable. Yes, there's tons more to it, but that's all I can think of right now. Nicole, yes, is, are you reading Meditation, uh, The Language of Letting Go? Yes. I do that. Is that the one today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I read it too. So that was actually the meditation for today, which showed up. Yep. Which just automatically showed up. So I was, um, that's called a God shot. So <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing all of your stories. I am so happy that, Nikki, you just said the God shot situation. I mean, I think that we all were brought together for a reason. I fully believe that. And like I said, with Jill specifically for me, I would never have gotten through that. Um, You were just like comfort for me. So thank you for that. Candice, I think I just saw myself in you is really what happened is like, here's this just like full of life and freaking sass (laughs) and just like, fuck you world. And... I'm going to drink till I black out. What the hell? I'm in a bar in Phoenix, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, my little nugget. And Nikki was just, Nikki, your soul is just so bright and just so sunshiny. And I just love everything about your aura. So I'm so glad that the three of you came into my world, which was really interesting because it was like the craziest, most vulnerable, weird time for all of us, probably. I mean, I could speak for myself. One of the things I really want to talk about is, I I said it earlier, is the myth about going into detox, rehab, treatment, call it what you want. But there's this idea that you're in Malibu on the beach, you know, drinking daiquiris without rum in them, depending on who you know at the facility. And, you know, then you get out. For me, I knew that I needed to make a change in order for my relationships to stay solid. In other words, it was quite likely my husband was about out the door and things with my children were not okay. And I had been seeing a therapist for quite some time. And luckily, the medical director from my insurance company that said, you need to go somewhere to you know, medically detox and get the help that you need, was sending me to one of these places in California on the beach somewhere and just go get clean, go get detox, and then we're going to be done. Luckily, my therapist stepped in and said, no, she needs more. This isn't about her and drinking. This is about so much more. So luckily, he knew of the place we went and suggested it. And I'm so glad because now, obviously out of that, I just look back and think, I don't even feel like drinking was the problem then. (laughs) I was like, there was so much that actually came out of that. I was like, wow, I actually grieved for my brother's loss, which I'd never understood that I hadn't gone through that. And holy Jesus, I was like, that was liberating. I'm glad that that happened. And yeah, I can really deal with it now, which I wasn't doing before because I would just drink, you know, drink, drink, drink. So stories. I have to talk about this. Um, dress code. Oh my God. <laughs> Did she get yelled at for wearing a tank top? <laughs> but then there was that one girl who had all the sugar daddies. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, and her clothing was so revealing and nobody would say anything to her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Her leggings were see-through. Her, she had nip slips. I mean, she never got in trouble. No, that was Ever. Ever. Yeah. So, you know, I am just really all about standard operating procedures. And if one bitch is going to get in trouble for a tank top, <laughs> hey, Lorianne. <laughs> Shouldn't everybody? I was literally running. <laughs> running. It was like a Nike tank top or something. It was a Nike tank top. It was yeah. literally like a Nike tank top. And as I was getting in trouble from said security person, Barbie was in the cafeteria when I was getting in trouble wearing all said things. And I'm like, wait a minute. 
Yeah, there was that. The telephone usage. Does anyone have a good telephone story? Oh, I was sitting, I was sitting at the um, the telephone station. So it's these old cubicles, like these old fashioned office cubicles with these old like dial up phones sitting there. But I was sitting there one day and somebody starts yelling. This guy starts yelling. He's so mad and he picks up the, the phone and just throws it like through the, and I, and I'm a trauma survivor. And so I have like adverse reactions to violence and anger. My whole body just seized up. But yeah, just like picked it up and threw it across the room. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't know how to use the telephone. Like, cause it was like, put your finger in and circle it. And I'm like, I don't know how to use this. Like, I need the button. Darn right. Candace <laughs> was like, where's the iPhones? <laughs> I'm like, what's the circle thing? Oh, it's attached to a cord. <laughs> we have antiques here. That's <laughs> It was, you know, what was also interesting with the stories is like, you can skirt everything that you needed to. I mean, really whatever you wanted or whatever you needed or however you wanted things to happen, happened. I mean, I was a little naive and thinking that everyone was clean there and realized I was in the midst of drug deals at all times. (laughs) I was like, the whole time I was there, people were getting loaded. Did you guys, did anyone else experience that? I had, oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea that people were using drugs or getting drugs until well into the program. And still, I didn't believe it. I was like, there's no way. I had no idea either. I thought I was a badass from when Jill's husband brought in a tumbler of actual Starbucks coffee and she shared it with me. I was like, yeah, I'm a rule breaker, let alone like drugs are happening. Remember there. when you brought in chocolate? He brought in chocolate and we smuggled it in for you guys. Yes, I do remember. <gasps> I totally remember that. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's lines going up and down the street. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> One of the guys uh, was like, hey, did you know that I fell in love with my dealer and she's here today? It's my fiance. And I'm like, no oh, you married your dealer? Like, cool. Well, hey, you fucking dumbass. No, he didn't marry his dealer. <laughs> he just faking that they're married. Oh, it took me like a minute. I think the thing about rehab that is so weird is you can you can be anybody you want to be. Like nobody from the outside knows who you are. Nobody inside knows who you were on the outside. So you can have this wonderful, fictitious world that you create for everybody inside, and nobody knows the difference. And one of the um, one of the guys that was there, um, he. <laughs> Well, we had a nickname. We used to call him Tracker because he had a tracking device on. But he told me, he told me, I asked him one day, I'm like, oh, so what did you do? He goes, oh, I used to, I used to work in a shelter for, for battered women and everything. And I'm just like, that's so cool. Like he was telling me all of this philanthropic work that he was doing. And then I find out that he tried to kill somebody. And I was like, and it was in the news and it was this big, big deal. And it was just like, it was his girlfriend. It was a girl. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was a girl. Yes. Well, and then we had, (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> what Candace tell us do you, do you remember during an AA meeting it's so bad so whenever I'm like scared or freaked out I laugh but in the middle of an AA meeting this woman had like I don't know if you want to call it an episode but she randomly started banging on the table and she's like, I'll tell you what you want to hear just tell me don't do this to me my mom made me eat my own shit and I'm just like what is happening and then I told people at that facility, I was like, this woman freaks me out. Like, there's something weird about her. Like, she's not, I get a bad vibe. And what do you know? She pulled me aside one-on-one to tell me that Lori has made a click and we're all against her and stalking her. And I was, I just, that place was nuts. I forgot about that woman. Oh my gosh. That is what I think also is something you're just not prepared for, right? Candace is like being dropped off because she's crying over a boy and blacking out in the bars in Phoenix. And then now you have a woman that has severe mental disorders. Yeah. It's like, what did Jill say earlier? You have post-traumatic stress from treatment. Like you legitimately do. Like I left treatment thinking like, I need more treatment for the treatment I just left. Like, 
Yeah. You bringing that up, Candace, just reminded me of sort of a string of things with that particular person because she was dealing with a severe mental disorder that we weren't trained by any means. I mean, we're patients, right? We weren't in a situation where we understood what we're supposed to be doing. And and frankly, in my opinion, that person should not have been out with the rest of the crew, right? I, I think that there has to be some sort of security in the sense of that knowing this person could at any time become someone else or wh- whatever the situation was. And no disrespect to her, but for us, what the fuck? I mean, I she tried to stab me, right? Like, I was like, she was like, Lori, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. And really was like, we bonded. And I was having a conversation with her as if I was making a new friend because I'm naive and incapable of realizing that I'm in a mental institution and that this person is probably not who she is. Mm-hmm. And literally, I saw her within 10 minutes and she was stink eyeing me in the cafeteria. And I was like, why is she so angry with me? And nothing had happened. Nothing had transpired. And then Candace mentioned later on that she'd pulled her aside and said, Lori's out to get me. And I'm like, whoa, furthest thing. <laughs> for the thing. The problem with that whole situation was one, not knowing how to, you know, we're not ready for that. Uh -uh. And then bringing it to authority situation, you know, to, to authority. And, And I, we went to the nurse's station, we went to administration and made it very clear that we were uncomfortable based on the happenings. And it was like, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. And nothing, nothing changed. In fact, the keeping an eye on it became a security guard, which was really just an administration person that was like a receptionist that got paid five bucks an hour to be there. And no disrespect, but I mean, not a trained individual to deal with this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And she was really clicky and gossipy and, you know, just not really authority, uh, authority figure. So it was bizarre interaction there. What you said about like the administrative, like you heard about other people's drama and their things that are they're dealing with through the administration. There was like no hip of like authority, right. like and like to talk about that girl, like she literally was a, a very nice woman. Like I still remember what she like. She wrote me the nicest goodbye in my notebook, and I'm like, wow, this woman is deep, uh, really sweet. She just had the mental things to work through. It was not. I don't think it was handled properly at all. No, I don't. I don't believe. And I don't think she was in the right facility. Definitely, she needed to be in a different facility. Facility that dealt with deeper mental issues. I believe that was just my personal, Yeah, you know. That was real fear. That was scary shit. Yeah. I think she should have been an intake or somewhere else a little bit longer, been put on meds, evaluated, and then dealt with like her trauma and whatever happened to her as a kid later on there. But instead, I think she was just dropped off there, not on any medications, no idea what she had or what she was diagnosed with. I think nobody tells you what you're going to deal with, right? Like Lori was saying, nobody told her she was going to deal with me and I I would dissociate and forget where the hell I was and go wandering off in the desert by myself, um, which happened. Like I was out two, three hours in the middle of the night and nobody, nobody caught me and nobody knew I was gone. And, you know, but nobody, nobody tells you that. Right. And I'm severely mentally ill and nobody who I roomed with, they were not told, listen, you have a roommate that has this problem or because, you know, that would be a HIPAA violation, but they can't tell you, Hey, you need to, you need to watch out and be careful. Right. So I probably wasn't in the right facility either, (laughs) but you know, Hey, here we are. Right. Well, she didn't try. I I mean, nobody tried to stab you. You didn't try to stab anybody. I don't think so. (laughs) I didn't hear that rumor. (laughs) Hurt your feelings. Like I meant no, I know what you're saying. Did no, you did not hurt at that facility. Okay. <laughs> I thought I did too. I was like, oh crap, I offended you. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, you guys have some more work to do. <laughs> God. <laughs> Always do. We do until we die. No idea. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for nothing. Did I offend you? Is everything okay? Are we good? Are we on good terms? Is everybody all right? Do we need to take a break? <sighs> okay. So you guys just brought this up, this little notebook situation. So when we all were leaving, it was like, it was like a graduating class of fall of 2015. <laughs> and we had, we had little, what do you call these things? They're not yearbooks. They're um, like journals, little tiny journals. So I picked this tiny one, which Jill made fun of me for. <laughs> 
She's like, of course you would pick the smallest book for us to write in, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So I found, I have to share because I found my little notes from each of you that I thought would be cute to share. I wrote in yours? You did. Oh, I don't even remember. Well, well, now you'll know because um, I'm going to read it to you. (laughs) God, now I'm embarrassed and scared. (laughs) This is from Candace with her phone number at top. Lori, I can't, just in case we wanted to KIT. <laughs> Candace, that means keep in touch. Okay. I, <laughs> uh, I can't imagine going through this experience without you. Words can't even describe how much you have helped me and encouraged me. I already miss our late night laughs and jokes. You truly have touched my heart and made me feel cherished by you. I'm glad. I gained a big sis like you and love you and your your humor. Paint the fence, bitch. That's <laughs> a personal joke. <laughs> love. <laughs> Sweet. Jill, always good with her words, says, Lori, you are a funny fuck. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Thanks for being a great roommate and for saving me from walking out into the desert with the scorpions and snakes. Oh, wait. You didn't. <laughs> But I love you much. Stay strong, sober, and full of life. And Nikki saved a spot in my book. Like she was like, I'm not ready to write yet. So I'm going to have these three pages. Oh my God. (laughs) My dearest Lori. I kind of want her to read this. My dearest Lori, I don't even know where to start with all of our fun antics we shared. You have made this experience one of joy and laughter. I will have a new friend for life. I wish you the best in your recovery. I love you, Nikki. And then there were several things that between Nikki and Candace and I as roommates, um, because we did have a lot of late nights with like what's happening. Jill was still, Jill was still back. <laughs> I was still in the nurse's station. I've never left the nurse's station. Oh, poor Jill. <laughs> so essentially what happened, right? We would be, you, you show up, you get the guy, he takes your shit, you spend a day or two in the nurse's station to really for them to sort of figure out how long it's going to take you to get off of whatever you're on. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, that's what was going down. Right. And so Jill just was like never leaving. They just wanted her, <laughs> they just wanted her to be close. They wanted me to be under constant monitoring to make sure I was okay. And so I was there the whole time. I had nine roommates during the time that I was there. Oh Wasn't your room literally like you open the door and there's the nurse station like right there? Literally. Okay. I remember. Right there. <laughs> you were like, yep. if she left, everyone knew. Yep. So true. And if Lori decided to come out the door and scream at some fucker that's standing in line for meds, they knew that too. That was awesome. And the freeway is right next to the facility. So you could have run out into the freeway. At least you ran out into the desert. (laughs) Right. I could have. (sighs) We're so so glad you came back. (laughs) Yeah. So the antics that would go on because, so yeah, this is how it went down. You show up, you go into the facility's detox observation area, and then you... There's two different buildings, which again, I love that I called it the Best Western and that it actually was. So you can see, you know, it's like a motel. You go upstairs and you walk across and there's like 10 rooms and you have a key to your door. So each room essentially had three or four? Three. Three. Three beds. And we're talking like if you travel or have gone to a hotel before, what they would consider a normal standard room where you fit a queen bed and like a TV. They put three twin beds, three adult women, and you shared a closet. Or you could go to the men's side and who knows what was going over there. So what happened for me, my experience was, which is how I met these three beautiful ladies is... I got kicked out of Jill's room because I wasn't drunk enough. (laughs) And they put me in with, let's say, roommate number one. Roommate number one is not on the call. She had severe mental illness as well as was coming down off of major drug use. So there was a lot of hallucination, uh, hallucination going on, a lot of weird dreams. One of the things that this facility sort of boasted about was that wellness was a big deal and that you would eat good food, get your rest. So I walk in and literally sit down and this lady's screaming at the top of her lungs in her sleep, like screaming. 
I don't even know what. I was like, okay, this isn't really going to work for me. (laughs) Wow. Was I your roommate then? You were not my roommate then. So she didn't leave because I remember one night she screamed and all I remember is you having these big ass headphones for your (laughs) sound to to put her like her her quietness. And all I remember is Lori's big bun, these big headphones, her sitting up in her bed and looking and dolting out the door, leaving me in the room with this screaming lady. (laughs) Yes, her. But I believe this was before you got, I was able to move you in there, right? Because didn't we have, so essentially you were assigned people and I was assigned this particular woman and somehow this other lady was leaving. So I was like, yo, whoever this nurse is that had been super sweet to me, I manipulated my, you know, magic wisdom and was like, hi, so Candace, I think really needs to be with me because we've really bonded and she just needs to, you know, I think she feels safe. (laughs) It worked out. Meanwhile, I have like a codependency issue, you know, but they're going to put me with you because I'm not codependent. Like, oh God. Well, hey, it was better than them telling me I could go stay in the men's area if I wanted to. I mean, seriously. (laughs) What, What were you known for, Lori? I want what I want when I want it. Isn't that what they said about you? I want, Lori wants what she wants when she wants it. 100%. I still have the sticky the psychiatrist wrote down. I remember the day he gave that to you. You came in and you're like, look at this. <laughs> it's, you, it, it's really, you can't get, yeah, you can't get closer to the truth on that one. I mean, it really is like, hello, addict, immediate gratification, satisfaction, satisf- satisf- what am I, why can't I see the word? Satisfaction, satisfaction. 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 (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. But yes, I want what I want when I want it. And Candace, yep, we were able to talk. Somebody left and like bring her in. So now I'm like, okay, it's the two of us. Would love to have Jill, but we can't because she's, I'm like, how else can we get this, you know, the the screamer had to get out. <laughs> there was another episode that Candace just described and I just ran downstairs and I was like, listen, this is not working. Thank you for allowing me to have a CD player with sounds. <laughs> but I could still hear her screaming. So they moved her into her own little spot. And here comes Nikki. I don't recall. Nikki, do you remember how we got you? Um... Somebody else moved out of the room, which I was waiting for somebody else to move out of the room because I wanted to be with you guys. So we had to wait for somebody else to move out of the room. And then you used your magic loriness, if that's a word, <laughs> to get me in the room. And it worked. I want what I want when I want it. And I want actually, it. we had, I believe, we had the best room at the whole treatment center. Our room was huge. Lori got wanted when she wanted we had the second story. We had the best view. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now know that I went through a lot to get that because I did have another roommate on the in-between. I was like sleeping and woke up and I heard my name faintly. Lori. Lori. And I was like, what the fuck, bitch? Who is, what is happening? And no one was in the room with me. I was like, what is going on? And it was like four in the morning, right? Or three in the morning. It was really late or early, whatever. Right. And, and now, I mean, I thought now I feel like almost like the Corona, like that. I actually got it from somebody. Like now I have mental health issues because I came in here, not hearing people calling my name, but now people are calling my name. (laughs) I look over and my roommate at the time is laying on the floor on her hands and knees up against the door. So you couldn't get in or out just rocking back and forth, calling my name. Huh? I feel like there was a roommate before Nicole came in that wasn't the screamer though, because she stole my shampoo and my body wash. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I had to like, and I was telling the nurses, Hey, this person stole my shampoo, my body wash. Like, how do I get more? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Lori comes in. Okay. So here's what's going to happen. Someone has to go to the store at some point, right? Let's just get body wash and shampoo. And sure enough, I got some that day. (laughs) I mean, let's be solution providers. Yes. There's always a solution to a problem. And that's one thing that I did learn at the facility. Yeah. There's always a solution to a problem. 
Now, which one of you was always in that secret room that got to go shopping on Amazon once a day? Oh, that was a girl. She was, yeah, there was another gal that she was shopping every single day. She had a gambling addiction, which turned into a shopping addiction and would get boxes every day for her and her roommate. She would buy all this stuff for her roommate too. It was crazy. What? I thought that was Lori because Lori got a package every day. No. Lori got flowers every day. No, it was somebody else. It was an, it was another girl and she and her roommate. I do remember who that was. I do remember that job. I was job. Where was I? Who was it? Um, she was my roommate before you. She left my room and you came in. Huh. I don't know. I thought maybe you had the shopping addiction and got the early assets. Not me, girl. Because you got Converse sent to you. You got like jackets you got flowers you got like random coffee mugs i had what that was what they call that is love candace that was love. <laughs> i didn't experience that <laughs> i wasn't buying that shit myself <laughs> you know what i thought was one of the funniest moments like one of my favorite moments there i was in the art room i spent a lot of time in the art room and there was this girl there that had this dog and she spent a lot of time in the art room and she was there and got mad and started screaming at us that we were all crazy they're just like you know you guys are fucking crazy and you i mean just like losing her shit over this stuff and then all of a sudden my room my one of my roommates looks at her and goes you are in a psych facility in a onesie with a dog, with a matching onesie. Because <laughs> the dog had a matching costume to hers. <laughs> and it totally set her up. But she's just like, you want to talk about crazy. You fit the bill. <laughs> yes. Didn't the police come on her? Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm just doing my art. Do my art. Beautiful artist, Joe. Well, that was always weird too. So for me, art was like, okay, I guess I was getting back into it. And it was the only place I could find a spot where we could actually hear music because they had a little sound machine. And a little Zen pan flute thing in there. And and I would even ask, of course, you guys knew. I was like, what else can I get? Like, <laughs> so we can try to be back to normal. <laughs> so I'm like, can we just put on like some like, you know, pop music or something? No, because of the lyrics and, you know, we don't want to blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the fuck the... Pro- Listen, when you opened the art door, you walked into the living room, which had the TV that was the size of fucking Texas that was playing like Godfather. <laughs> and I'm like, so the boys can sit in here and watch shoot 'em ups and blood is fucking dripping from the walls, but I can't listen to a little Mariah Carey today. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was just shit like that that I didn't understand. We're going to get a little serious for a second. So I brought my book out. In our group, meaning, you know, around, well, Jill, shit, you were there three months, right? Yeah. Was it three months? My God, girl. It was almost three months. Wow. So we overlapped, obviously, um, Nicole, Candice, Jill, and myself. And we did get to spend a lot of quality time together. With that, we met other people there that, you know, you just, you're in a different world. You're waking up with other people literally right by your side. You're going to classes and talking about your most vulnerable moments. You're eating. I mean, the coffee situation, like again, the idea was to have a nutrition value and for us to understand what it was to remove caffeine from your life, um, to eat healthily. But I mean, again, if you want what you want, when you want it, you will get it. So while we weren't supposed to have sugar and people like me that were having not only withdrawals from alcohol, but withdrawals from sugar, you just ask your buddy like, hey, when you go up and get your coffee, can you ask for five more packets? Because <laughs> you're only allowed a certain many, you know? You're allowed two. What's that? You're allowed two a day. You're allowed two a day. Well, I got busted often. Then wasn't there like a switcheroo, like at 8 a.m., all the coffee became decaf? Yep. It was 6 a.m. So it was way earlier than 8 a.m. I would fill a thermos. I would go in early and fill a thermos for the day. You would. Yeah. a thermos? I did. 
She had everything. She did. I mean, she was the place to go. Like, (laughs) I mean, if I missed coffee time, which makes perfect sense now because it was six o'clock, not eight o'clock, because I was always trying to get coffee off of other people. I mean, that's how I was able to drink coffee. You and then there was another gal that I loved too, Amber, who was just like out there all the time. And she always had, she just had mugs of coffee just sitting out at all times. (laughs) She's like, yeah, you can get some of that. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And we had popcorn at night every night. Yep. It made me a little gassy. <laughs> we farted all night long, all night long from that popcorn. Oh gosh. Yes, it was really tragic. <laughs> Between that and the sugar-free, the sugar-free stuff that they put in the desserts and stuff like oh, everybody's so gassy. So bad. The cinnamon ice cream. Oh, so good. It was so good. You're eating a diet like you're used to, you're eating a diet that's completely different. I would go like a day eating a carrot at home, like just not even thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're, you're going and they're, they're making sure that you eat three meals a day. I was not used to that. And a snack. You know, so you're, I think your whole system is just kind of screwed up and it's getting used to like the food and everything. Yeah, it was all one. Can I just ask, what is with the salad? Like every plate you had, (laughs) it didn't matter what was on the bottom layer of the plate. The entire top layer was a salad. (laughs) Well, I grew up in California, a land of the fruits and the nuts. And I just like salad on top of my food. Like I'm getting my greens no matter what. And I just like the taste of it, like the mixture. I just liked it. You would never know what was for dinner on your plate because it would just be lettuce. Everyone thought I had like a huge salad, but there was the dinner underneath. (laughs) I don't know that she ate anything but salad. I mean, like cottage cheese would be covered with spinach lettuce. (laughs) Yeah. What is happening in the world? Yeah, I just felt like as long as I was eating greens, I was getting something healthy and it made me feel better, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start with Jill. One of your greatest moments at the facility and something that you're just like, I can't believe this actually happened. One of my greatest moments was um, when all of the diagnostic diagnostic tests came back and I sat down with the doctor to go through all of that and to talk about it. It was like all of the pieces fell into place. It was like, now I understand why I feel this way. I understand the PTSD. I understand the anxiety. I understand the dissociative stuff. And he was so careful to explain how everything went, how how everything fit into my life. And it was, it was so clarifying for me because I hadn't known, I hadn't known what was, what was driving all of my craziness. And that was a really, really cool moment. I think one of the, one of the weirdest WTF moments was definitely when I got out of the room and I was wandering around in the desert for three hours in the middle of the night and wandered back. And they actually told me the next day, they pulled me aside and they said, we have failed you. The door alarms went off. The, you know, the nurse's station didn't know. We did not take care of your safety. Safety, and we deeply apologize. And people that actually sent me there um, almost pulled me from the program at that point because they just felt like I wasn't safe. Because in fact, I wasn't safe. But they just said, "They just said we have totally failed you." And when I think about that, you know, it's kind of a funny story, but really, it's a really scary experience because they're like the scorpions, the snakes come out. There's the freeway right there. You know, you really could have gotten hurt not knowing that this dissociative thing was going to happen. And and um, so that was. Really really, that was really kind of, kind of a low moment. There were some other weird, low, crazy moments. Um, there was a lot of funny things that happened too, but I think that that was, um, that was pretty frightening. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Nikki, highest, lowest. Um, I was trying to think about it when Jill was talking and oh my God, I'm going to start crying. The same program that Jill went to when she thought she was going to just stay there for, you know, five days or whatever. I was able to talk about something that happened in my childhood that I've never talked about out loud. And I was able to deal with it. And um, it was just super powerful. It helped me heal from that. And it gave me some tools for the future to use in case something else came up similar to that. 
So um, I think that would have to be like the most powerful and the thing that I remember most about it. And then um, what was the, <laughs> okay. So that was, that was, that was high, even though it sounds sad. It was high. What were, what was your unbelievable? Like, I can't fucking believe this happened while I was there. There was one incident where one of the patients, a male patient came up to me and accused me of, of saying something about him. And I'm a very sweet pe- person. I don't talk about people. I don't talk shit about people. It's just not in me. And he came up to me and he's a big guy. He's probably like six, two. And he got in my face and there was nobody else around me. And it really scared me. So I would, uh, I would have to say that that was the lowest part and they remedied everything. They took me to the nurse's station. They talked to him, but it was, it was super scary because that's never happened to me before. So I remembered that. Yeah, I totally remember that. I think we, Candace and I were in the nurse's um, area with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. That is even a memory, but it was an experience that we have to deal with. But it happened and that just tells you that you're around, you're around people that you just, you don't know what's going to happen. And it, that happened to me. I was totally caught off guard and so scared. It was very scary. You had, and you had the right to feel that way. Candice, what was your aha moment there? And what, what was your, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. I don't know. I think my aha moment was being told and finally accepting and understanding the concept of a trauma bond and that I had a trauma bond with my mom. Uh, my mom was like the worst person in my life negatively, but then I could not let go and I would not let anyone talk about, about her. I just defend her to the end. So recognizing that was kind of like, aha. And then the funny thing is, is like, they told me that if I go back home and I don't have my boundaries with my mom, I'm going to relapse. I'm going to relapse with my mom. And sure enough, I relapsed with my mom when I got out of treatment. Um, So I don't know, that was kind of like, aha. And then even when I did relapse, I was like, holy moly, like they were right. You know, my low point, (laughs) so stupid now, but I was uh, allowed to have my cell phone for a day because I was going to wait for a call from the boy. I got so depressed and sad over it. I ended up in treatment and he said that he would call me November 1st. And that day came and he didn't call me. And I'm pretty sure I sat in bed crying while you guys were in there. And I was so sad. So yeah, I think it was that. And then I think it was called Survivor's Week. I think that's my like probably another aha moment. I think when it comes to like drinking, I was never my authentic self. I think when I would have drinks, I'd be like, I'm going to like be the persona of myself of who I want to be, but not my authentic self. And I think that's how I got so close to like you, Lori, is like you were in that survivor's week with me and you knew like all my deep secrets. So what were your highs and lows? Oh my gosh. I think the same as Candace was explaining about the high was probably that particular week. I just found out a lot about myself that I didn't understand I was going through. One of the things we didn't talk about is outside of our individual therapy sessions, we also had group for hours a day. And Jill and I were in the same group. And hearing other people's stories was always weird to me because I was just like, why am I listening to this girl talk for the last hour about issues that she had and what she had to deal with. And so for me, it was really sort of eye-opening to understand how other people could influence my life and how other people's stories can really help or hinder someone's recovery. And that's why I feel like for, you know, having a platform like this is super important. So sometimes I feel like going there and going through the process really brought what my purpose is if that makes any sense. So for so long, I wondered like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Being a mom was my job, but I didn't understand it. And then just realizing like, I'm an educator, you know, like I had to go through certain things and feel certain things to give my gift of empathy and sympathy and love to others. And so I think that was really taught to me there. I think I just, that was something that I finally understood. The lowest had to have been what we talked about earlier. I mean, that shit was crazy. Like having someone that was mentally unstable and not unstable, mentally unstable or instable. What is it? Unstable. Whatever that was. Um, (laughs) 
that was scary, right? I like, I feel like I have been in fearful situations before in my life. Like, you know, obviously, um, you know, I had some trauma my myself about growing up in an abusive household. And so, yeah, I experienced certain things and, you know, lived in bad neighborhoods and those sort of things. But to have that come at you knowing that there's no response that like, I have zero idea what you're talking about, lady, because literally we just talked a couple minutes ago and just not having the right reaction was super scary. So I think just, you know, the low of being in a place that you are supposed to be safe and you're supposed to be healing and you're supposed to be taught the way, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, yeah, it was kind of disappointing to have to experience some of those things. One of the things I think that people also don't recognize is that we will continually, like recovery is not something you just like, hey, I'm out of treatment and now I'm I'm fixed, right? And Jill just mentioned that on the side. Um, she has extensive doctor's appointments mm-hmm. on a weekly. I'm still on medication to help with anxiety and panic disorder. I know that Nikki and Candace, if you want to share anything yes. that, that's happening. Can I just say something really quick? For me, what worked um, when I came home I went immediately to the outpatient program, which I believe was like two or three months. That helped me immensely. I needed more time. I didn't even really get it until the second week of that ending. For that, just continuing the education. Candice? Um, yeah, I think if I would have went into an outpatient treatment or kept to the program, I probably wouldn't have relapsed. But I came home thinking like, I'm fixed. I can still live life the way I want to. Like when they say you need to change people, places and things for some people like myself, I needed to do that. And I didn't do that. So I ended up relapsing, but now I'm, I'm still almost five years sober. I still work the program. I still take my medication. I have therapy that I do. I do couples therapy with my husband because I'm sometimes a nut job and just, (laughs) he can't take it. So, (laughs) So we do that. And let's reveal the big news here, guys. The boy that was supposed to call on November 1st, the one she was crying over and depressed about, <laughs> they're married and have two babies now. Wow. <laughs> yes. So dreams do come true, people. I gave her a little sparkle of I want what I want when I want it. And she went home and got it. <laughs> yup. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much. I'm just going to say one more thing about meds. Can I? Can I say one more thing about meds? Please do. I'm still trying to figure out my meds. So if anybody's listening, it takes a long time. And that's it. That's it. So I'm working on that as well. So just know that it's a work in progress. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. That's a great ending message that we all are a work in progress. And even though we had... The opportunity, I want to say, because there's so many that don't have the opportunity to get the help that they need. And we didn't touch on this, but there are some people that we went through treatment with that are no longer with us. I mean, I think the last I checked, correct me if I'm wrong, there's at least three people that have died with some of the illnesses that they were seeking help for and and others self-inflicted. Yes. And they were our friends. Yeah. You know, you you just never know what anyone's going through. And... I think the best message to leave this day with is lead with love and kindness and you never know what people are going through and whatever works for them, let them go. Keep your side of the street clean. Yep. Yeah. I love all your faces. Thank you so much. Jill, Nikki, Candice, love you all your faces. Thank you so much for joining the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.